Today's gospel passage hits way too close to home for us Episcopalians. We love our rituals and our personal acts of piety. We love genuflecting and crossing ourselves. We love processions and incense. We love vestments. The more folks wearing them, the better. We love bowing and reverencing. We love beautiful books to read from and lovely vessels from which to receive Holy Communion. We love flowers and candles and rails and kneelers. We love sitting and standing and kneeling all at the appropriate times. We love singing with just enough enthusiasm, but not too much. We love that there are proper colors for different seasons and feast days. We love that the hallelujahs go away for Lent only to return with a vengeance at Easter. We love real wine and we want to receive from a chalice, not a little plastic cup. And we have no trouble believing that a small compressed dry circle of cracker-like flour is bread. We love that there's a special place, the ombre, for the consecrated elements to reside and that we even have a dedicated lamp that we light to indicate that Jesus is home. We Episcopalians not only love these things, we're pretty steadfast in our opinions about the necessity of these things. Over the years, each of us has probably developed a list some of us longer than others, of items that have to be present in order for us to feel as if we've actually been to church, as if we've actually worshiped. So have to forgive me if I feel like we're being set up to play the role of the Pharisees in our gospel passage for today. Jesus has been out making quite a name for himself. When huge crowds gather to hear his teaching until late in the day, he takes five loaves and two fishes, blesses them and distributes them and is able to feed the entire crowd of 5,000 with 12 baskets of leftovers. Then he walks on water to join the disciples who've already set out by boat. And when they land in Gennesaret, Jesus begins healing all who are brought to him. And word spreads throughout the villages and the countryside, and folks come from all over the area to be healed. All of this has created quite a buzz, and it's gotten back to Jerusalem. So some Pharisees deign to leave Jerusalem and come out to the country to see for themselves what this Jesus thing is all about. And just as they arrive, Jesus and his disciples are about to sit down for a meal. You know, when I want to find out more about someone or something, I've learned that the wise thing is to watch and listen for a while before commenting or asking questions. If I wait, my questions are usually answered. But clearly the Pharisees have not learned this lesson because they have just crashed the party and almost immediately they asked Jesus, hey, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders, but are eaten with defiled hands? Now, this question needs a little unpacking if we want to understand where the Pharisees are coming from. Way back in the law of Moses, it's written that Aaron and the priests are to ritually wash their hands and feet before ministering at the Lord's altar. By the time we get to the second century before Christ, we have non-priests who are voluntarily taking up the practice of washing before morning prayer and before eating. At this point, 
it's become a means of setting Jews apart from all of the foreign powers that have entered their land and subjugated them. It's a means of maintaining their otherness, their specialness, their chosenness. So it's important for us to get that the Pharisees question has nothing to do with dirt under our fingernails or germ elimination and everything to do with ritual that sets you apart as a member of the group. For many of the Pharisees, performing the right rituals was how you knew who was in with God and who was not. This is why Jesus pounces pretty aggressively (laughs) on their question. You hypocrites, he shouts. Isaiah warned us about religious folk like you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold a human tradition. While we want to see ourselves as part of the Jesus team, standing behind him saying, you go, Jesus, preach it. I think Mark is asking us to hear this story and ask ourselves, How are we like the Pharisees? The story is told of two men sitting next to each other on a bench. The first man strikes up a conversation with the second and begins telling him how much he likes his church. And he actually invites the gentleman to join him for church on Sunday. And the second man says, I don't go to church. Churches are full of hypocrites. And the first man sighs and nods his head and says, yeah, there's always room for one more. (laughs) Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. The truth is that we are all hypocrites in some form or fashion. Hypocrisy refers to the disconnect between the moral values and standards that we espouse and those that we actually practice in our lives. Hypocrisy comes from the Greek word meaning pretending. Hypocrisy is life acted out to fool others, a a role that we take on or pretend to be that is not really us. It is the antithesis of the authentic life. It is a denial of our authentic self, warts and all, weaknesses and all, in favor of a, a fabricated persona that for whatever reason we've chosen to project. Hypocrisy is the enemy of the true self. It promotes a disintegrated and segmented life instead of an integrated and honest one. All of us have some distance between the person we project to others and who we truly are. For some of us, this gap is small. For some of us, this gap is large. By calling the Pharisees out, on the distance between the piety of their outward lives and the stinginess of love and compassion in their relationship with others, Jesus is highlighting our basic human struggle to discern and maintain the integrity of our lives. Have you ever wondered why prominent politicians and televangelists do more and more morally outrageous things until they're finally caught? It's because they've been living these very false, very hypocritical lives. There's a huge gap 
between what they are preaching or speaking and how they are actually living their lives. It's a terrible thing to live such a segmented life. It is a lot of work to maintain. It's much harder to maintain lies than to tell the truth. Eventually, these folks just can't keep up with the persona, with the false life that they've chosen. And in a kind of self-destructive desperation, they push the boundaries of their words and actions further and further until they are outed and forced to deal with their false lives. This is what Jesus means when he says, there is nothing outside a person that by going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. He teaches that it is what is in our hearts that makes us unclean before God, not the rules that we follow or the rituals that we keep. Jesus refers to our heart three times in this passage. He wants us to realize that what honors God is to have our hearts set on God. And if we have our hearts set on God, this will show forth in loving relationship with those around us. Instead of looking for ways to separate from others, to judge who is clean and who is not, we will be moved to love others as God loves them, exactly how and where they are. And the way we develop hearts that are set on God is to deal with the ugly stuff in our hearts that separate us from God. Our hearts are full of gracious thoughts, a desire for what is good, love for those who mean the most to us. But each of us has a cellar in our hearts and it is here that our brokenness and our fallenness reside. We like to keep our cellar doors closed tight to everyone, including ourselves. But Jesus' point is that until we're willing to open that door, to bring forth the ugliness from the cellar of our hearts and offer it to God for light and healing and forgiveness, there will be a gap between our true selves and our outward lives. One of the ways we can heal the breach between the life we project and our true selves is to look outside of ourselves to serve others. When we move our focus from ourselves, our desires, our goals, our successes, and shift it towards something bigger, joining in God's redemptive work in the world, we automatically shed some of that falseness and become more Christ-like more the person we're created to be. In this season, in the life of St. Michael, we are reflecting on the ways in which we are gifted. What gifts do we bring to the ministry of the church, which is an avenue of God's work in the world? Where is our passion for rolling up our sleeves and furthering God's purposes? Today, we're specifically looking at pastoral care, our ministry of care for one another. 
Greg Pickens, our associate for pastoral care, and his amazing team of lay members actively embody the love of Christ in the myriad ways they serve folks within and without the congregation in all stages and circumstances of their lives. Birth, marriage, illness, loss, death. These are the liminal moments in life where we most need the love and care of the community of the faithful. As you ponder your giftedness and how you might be called into one of our care ministries here at St. Michael, be assured that this commitment to serving others is the very thing that shrinks the gap between our outward lives and our true self. If you find participating in one of our many caring ministries intriguing, please use the gifted card in the pew back in front of you to indicate your interest. You can register digitally with it with that QR code or you can drop it in the collection plate. We will reach out to you with details and options. We Episcopalians can continue to love ritual as much as we do. Ritual provides a sense of order within which we can feel safe. The problem is when our ritual creates a space where we can remain unchanged, untransformed, and yet convince ourselves that these outward rules and actions are enough to make us good before God. If your heart belongs to God, then nothing else is needed. If your heart does not belong to God, then none of this matters. Friends, Jesus already knows the contents of the cellar of our hearts. We are not fooling him by keeping the door shut and the light off. And he loves us not one tittle less because of it. The reason we bring it forth to let it go and to let it be healed is so that we can become the authentic person God has created us to be. Then our lives will be integrated and honest, not segmented and hypocritical. Then we will know real peace. Then we will know real contentment. Then we will live lives that honor God more than any ritual. Amen. <laughs>